Good morning, everyone. It is a, uh, it's a, it's a great honor for me to be with you today and to share in this uh, special day, this uh, special service. It is always an honor to, to preach God's Word. Um, it is a humbling experience, uh, but it is a great honor to stand before you to preach God's Word. It is an honor to stand together for the gospel with you. Uh, as here in this city, we stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Steve has, uh, Pastor Steve has just mentioned, it's, a, it's an honor to share in friendship uh, with uh, Steve. It was a few years ago now that um, I had a message come through, I think through Facebook Messenger. And uh, Steve Bray was messaging me, wanted to get together to have a coffee, uh, pastor, the new pastor at Calvary Baptist Church. And my first thought was, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk to a Baptist. <laughs> no, that's a joke. <laughs> I think. But what has ensued has been a, uh, a wonderful uh, friendship. And as Steve said, there has not been too many weeks in which we have not uh, been together, a small group of us usually uh, making Starbucks on Kenmont Road a rather rowdy place. And we've had a few interesting looks from time to time as we've laughed together and uh, talked together, but it has been a wonderful journey to get to know Steve. Appreciate your friendship, Steve, and uh, appreciate you in my life. And it is also an honor to share in this special ordination service from my friend and colleague Steve Daw. And as, uh, as, uh, as the other Steve said, uh, you know, Steve Daw and I are from the same hometown, Bay Roberts or Bay Wobbits. Uh, for those of you who may be familiar with, our, with the famous saying from Bay Roberts, it's up to Abba, down to Shaw, come on Bay Wobbits, score some more. And so we are from the same hometown. We graduated from the same, uh, school, uh, same high school, Ascension Collegiate. We went to scouts together for a little while, and there's a very lovely story that I won't tell this morning about Steve and, uh, and, and our encounter on, on, a, on a trip, a scouting adventure. And as Steve has mentioned, what, uh, it's marvelous to stand this morning and watch the plan of God unfold as now two uh, young men from Bay Roberts are now here in the city of St. John's and uh, serving together in the gospel ministry. Only, only God can, uh, can orchestrate that, and uh, it is a privilege to be able to share in this service. And I'm humbled, Steve, to be able to preach uh, at this ordination service. Uh, Steve Daw is a good man. He's a good man. He's a good brother. He loves Jesus. He loves God's Word. He loves the gospel, the local church. He's a good friend. And on top of all that, he is way smarter than I am. And uh, I enjoy being around people who are smarter than me. So let's get to the Word. Uh, you know, at my church, uh, we have been walking through the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is a letter written by the um, Apostle Paul, this church-planting missionary. The letter is addressed to believers in the ancient city of Ephesus, this 
a port city uh, which we find in modern-day Turkey. And some scholarship suggests that Ephesians was a, a circular letter, so meaning that the letter was you know, also perhaps sent to other churches in the region. And this, this early Christian letter is, is relatively short, yet a comprehensive piece of writing about the gospel. If you want to understand God's gospel of grace, the gospel that we are called together to stand for, then Ephesians, I would suggest, is, is a great book to read, a great book to study. I want to take you this morning to the 20th chapter of the book of Acts. I trust you have your Bible with you. With you. Uh, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 20. And uh, Acts chapters 18 to 20 tell us about the planting and the early years of the church at Ephesus. And in Acts chapter 20, uh, what we have here is the final uh, farewell meeting between Paul and the elders at Ephesus. So let's kind of set the scene for our Bible reading. Who here has ever watched the, uh, the reality TV show, The Amazing Race? Everyone watched The Amazing Race? Yeah, so you have this, this Emmy award-winning reality TV show where, where teams kind of embark on this um, trip around the world, really, and they stop in different locations in different cities all around the world, and there are different challenges to perform. And so I thought of that as I thought about the Apostle Paul, this this church planting missionary, and the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus takes a central role in his third missionary journey. Just to show you a little bit of his journey, I have a map here. Uh, I think if we here we go, and so over here, you know, Paul is starting out on his third missionary journey. He takes off from, from Antioch and he travels to some of the churches he had previously planted in, in, the, in the southern part of Galatia. And then he comes to Ephesus there, marked by the number three. Spends probably three years there and planting that church and, and, and meeting with the disciples there. And of course, as was often the case, some opposition came, ended in a riot, and Paul had to get out of town. Uh, I, yes, I've tendered my resignation, but there wasn't a riot. Not yet, anyway. And so Paul, Paul takes off, and he heads up to, uh, up to uh, you know, the north there in Macedonia, coming all the way down into Corinth. It's there that we have the, the writing of the great book of Romans. And of course, then again, there's some persecution that happens, and, and Paul then makes his way back up and traveling up to Philippi in the north of Macedonia, coming down through, and ends up there at number eight. Uh, he ends up just... Just south, a 30-mile journey from Ephesus by land at a place called uh, Miletus. And he, and he pauses there. He, he's, he wants to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And he's on a bit of a time crunch, but he really wants to meet with the church leaders at Ephesus one last time. And so he makes this stop, and he calls for the elders of the church at Ephesus to come and to meet him here in Miletus. Why didn't he stop into Ephesus? Who knows? Perhaps it was a busy port city. Uh, perhaps there was some leftover residue from how he left uh, Ephesus. We don't know. But he comes down a little and calls for the elders to come and meet him. And this is the setting of our Bible reading. Acts chapter 20, I want to read just verses 17 to 24. Acts 20 Verses 17 to 24. Now from Miletus he 
sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. May God bless the reading of his word. We have this emotional farewell narrative. Paul's meeting with the Ephesian elders was a time of looking back, and, and also he would later, if we kept on reading, look ahead to perhaps some of the dangers that would lie ahead for this, this church. And, and we see here, as, as some people have noted, a different side of Paul. Perhaps his real self. He's quiet, maybe reflective, tender, and unlike the busy, get-it-done man that most of his letters depict, here we see Paul, as someone has said, as if he's sitting down having his portrait painted. The longest time Paul ever spent with a church was the church at Ephesus, probably around three years. And Paul knows that this particular gathering, this meeting with the elders, will be the last time they would see each other in person. In verse 25, And now behold, I know that none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And so believing he would never return to the region again, Paul seeks out one final meeting to speak with the church leaders, the elders. Now this, this, this whole section is, is rich in meaning. And this meeting between Paul and the elders has been described as a day of, of in-depth heavy training. We could certainly spend months exploring this farewell talk. Uh, Richard Culkin writes that what we have here are foundational principles for effective gospel ministry in every age. Paul, the heroic missionary, the evangelist, the, the church planter and pastor, the man was a legend. And here in this passage, we, we read of him training some local church leaders from Ephesus, a cosmopolitan capital city on the west coast of Turkey, by taking them back to the essentials of gospel ministry. 
Now, Paul will offer some important instruction for the future gospel ministry in, in Ephesus. He will look into the future. But before, before he does that, he, before he offers instruction for the future, he draws upon some, some gospel ministry principles from his past and his present reality. Things, things that shaped his ministry at Ephesus and, in fact, all of his gospel journeys. And I think that these things are worthy of our consideration on a day like today, ordination day for, for our friend and brother Steve. And so I want to reflect on a few of the themes that Paul mentions. Firstly, Paul reminds the church elders that he was first and foremost a servant of the Lord. Now, that may appear to be obvious, but I can say that sometimes we as pastors, and there are pastors and sometimes churches and believers who may lose sight of this very foundational calling, that first and foremost, we are servants of Jesus. And that ministry in a local church, I would suggest to you, can pull you in many different directions, and there are often many different competing visions, Sometimes factions that will seek to pull you and distract you. But Paul reminds the Ephesian elders and us that gospel ministry in a local church is first about serving the Lord. This is his church. This is his gospel. We are his servants. And so as pastors... And as elders and as local church members, we should live in the daily awareness that we are the Lord's servants. Acts chapter 20, what did Paul say? He says to them, you yourselves know. He says, you know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. As I, as I think about this fact that we are servants of the Lord, I, I think that this is, first of all, it's the language of ownership. That Paul is a servant of the Lord and gospel ministry is first of all a service of the Lord and, and for the Lord. There are many things that will seek to pull and distract you, Steve. But this one thing is central. You serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul often referred to himself throughout his letters as a servant of Jesus. It speaks of reverence and it speaks of submission and it speaks of obedient service. And, and, and so this becomes a key question, a foundational question for us in pastoral ministry, and in fact for all of us. Who are you really serving? Who is it we are serving? We are serving the Lord and Jesus' vision for his church. You know, you often hear a lot about vision casting and, and, and trying to uh, determine the vision for a church. Well, I would suggest that Jesus has given us his vision. He has unfolded that for us. We are servants of him. He has called us, and now we, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the language of ownership, but I, would also, I also think it's, a, it's relationship language. 
As I think of being a servant of the Lord, I think of relationship. I, I think of the fact that we are called into formation and, and growth. It's, it's relationship language, I believe, so that ministry does not become mechanical. Uh, mechanical, routine, um, business as usual. When anything in life becomes mechanical, it kind of it steals the joy out of what you're doing. That can certainly apply to pastoral ministry. As servants of Jesus who are called into relationship with him, life and ministry should become anything but mechanical. This, this is the language of ownership. This is relationship language. And then I want you to notice in verse 19, I want you to take note how Paul further describes his gospel ministry as a servant of Jesus. And he does so by using three terms. Three words to describe his, his service. Humility, tears, and trials. Humility, tears, and trials. Humility. We might say... We might say a confident humility, a dependence upon God, also a dependence upon people. You know, Paul had a specific dependence upon the elders whom God had given him. That's why he's, he's meeting with them there this last time. And so there's a reason why Paul calls the elders together, trusted, competent, God-appointed leaders. Someone said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is, is the opposite of conceit and arrogance. And humble people live with this deep awareness that all we are and all we have is from God. A humble person refuses to value self above others and refuses to assign more privilege or importance to self than others. Humility is restraining our entitlement, a focus on the best interests of others, a focus on the mission of the church and laying aside personal preferences for what is best for the church as a whole. Ah, oh, humility is, a, is an important mark of being a servant of the Lord. Paul also notes that, um, that there are tears. There are tears. Tears are a part of being a servant of the Lord. There are tears of frustration. There are tears of embarrassment. There are tears of hurt. There are tears of rejection and failure. But there are also, there are also tears of joy over gospel growth, and there are tears of encouragement. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, uh, the writer says, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love I have for you. These, these are good tears. There are tears of concern in, in pastoral ministry. There are tears of concern for, 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 for church, for believers, for, for spiritual growth. Galatians 4.19, what did Paul say? He says, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. These are tears unique to pastoral ministry. That, the, the, the burden that, that you have for for the growth and development of people, of growing in the gospel. 
And so there's humility, tears, and then Paul says there's, there's trials. <laughs> Lest we be naive, Steve, about gospel ministry, there, there is trials, and Paul points this out in his final meeting to the, to the elders. And he, if, again, if we were to keep reading, he would go on to outline some of the great difficulty that would be just ahead. Opposition comes in different forms. Sometimes it comes from within. Sometimes from without. And so pastoral ministry requires a great deal of perseverance. This, this third characteristic of gospel ministry implies, as one commentator points out, the patience and fortitude with which Paul continued his work despite the temptation to give it up. There will come times when you'll want to give it up. You'll, you'll want to quit. And so... Paul is quite aware of that. I would suggest that pastoral ministry affects individuals and their families in, in unique ways. I mean, every, every vocation has its challenges, especially in today's world. But, but pastoral ministry affects individuals and families in very unique ways. Some, some fail to be able to deal with the... Um, or some drown in the fishbowl, if you will, of, of pastoral ministry. It, it, some, some pastors find it difficult to experience normal friendships and relationships within congregations. It just kind of comes with the territory. And so I would suggest that we, get, we can get programmed not to disappoint people. And in very unique and real ways, pastors are very susceptible to pleasing people. And so criticism and opposition can have a very debilitating impact upon us. And so, Brother Steve, it is crucial we understand and rest in our identity in Jesus Christ. For people's opinions will change. Church seasons will change. But when your identity is in Christ, your identity is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Criticisms can't change it. Failings can't shake it. Lists can't determine it. When your identity is in the rock, as someone said, your identity is rock solid. Especially those called to local church leadership, there is something in each of us that we need to be very aware of. And that's, that's success syndrome. Fear of not getting results. Success syndrome for pastors leads to a fear that preaching the gospel and leading from gospel convictions may not lead to the kind of growth people expect or the kind of church people expect. And so I would say to you, Brother Steve, and all of you good folk here at Calvary Baptist, it's so important to rest and trust in the gospel because the gospel teaches us that our value is not in what we do, but in who we are in Jesus Christ. And our value is in Christ, and the gospel of grace seeks to teach us that the Spirit is at work in ways that we cannot understand. And the kingdom of self finds value in what we do. But it's a recipe for disaster because I have discovered, as others here have discovered, that, that you can work as hard as you can and you can sometimes work as smart as possible and things may still not work out in the way you expected them to. 
And so when we don't get the results, we think our work should get. And as a man who has been in pastoral ministry now for about 23 years, I am continually learning to rest in God's opinion of me. That will serve you well, Steve. And the gospel reminds us that we are not the measure of our work or our performance or results or what someone thinks of you. We are the measure of who Christ says we are. We've sung about it this morning. And so this frees me to preach the gospel, to preach a compelling gospel, to preach Christ crucified, to preach the grace of God, to preach the gospel and to leave the results to who? To God. As someone said, God is asking you to believe who he is. God is asking you to believe he is who he says he is. And he's asking you to believe you are who he says you are. And then live like you believe those things. Well, another mark of his ministry with the Ephesians and a mark of his ministry everywhere was also a ministry of teaching the Bible. Acts chapter 20, verses 20 and 21. He says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Later on in verse 27, he talked about sharing the whole counsel of God. And so I would suggest that the focus of Paul's ministry was Bible teaching. Wherever he traveled, Paul started, grew, and strengthened churches by teaching the Bible. <laughs> Taught it in a variety of ways, variety of circumstances. He never, he never trimmed the message. He shared everything that was profitable, even if it wasn't welcome. And you'll notice in verse 21 that the focus of his Bible teaching was repentance and faith. Because, friends, that's really the only proper response to the gospel. It's always the proper response, repentance and faith. And so we have these marks. He's a servant of the Lord. Um, he had a ministry of teaching the Bible. Another mark of gospel ministry is a dependence upon the Spirit, being Spirit-led. Acts chapter 20, verse 22, he says, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Gospel ministry. In gospel ministry, we, we trust the Spirit to order our steps. We trust the Spirit to illuminate God's Word. Every time we stand before people and preach the gospel, we, we depend upon the Spirit to cause His Word to come alive to the hearers. We trust the Spirit to convict of sin, something we can't do. We trust the Spirit to empower us for ministry, a very important part of gospel ministry. Gospel ministry is built upon a trust and a dependence upon the Spirit. What does that look like in someone's life? I would suggest it looks like this, a, a rhythm, a daily rhythm built around the Word and prayer. A rhythm of Bible reading, of meditation, of careful thought, and prayer.
And I believe that in that rhythm of life, in that rhythm of prayer and scripture reading and meditation, that there will be times when, like Paul, we will be constrained by the Spirit. Amen. Lastly, it's everyone's favorite part of the sermon. When, when he says, lastly, right? But, but some of you have been listening to sermons long enough to know that that often doesn't mean a thing. Right? We're sometimes famous for having several conclusions in one sermon. And so, just like when you're trying to land sometimes in St. John's and you do this circling around the airport, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attempt my first conclusion. All right? So this is, this is, the, first, this is the first circle. Everyone Okay? Doing all right? Not at me? All right, we're doing good. Lastly, a commitment to the gospel of grace. Acts 20, verse 24. He says, but I do not account my life of any value. (laughs) And I don't count my life as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. Challenging words, Steve. For you who are being ordained today, for myself and Steve and others, elders, challenging words that we do not count our life as valuable or precious to ourselves, but we've been set apart for service to the Lord. We've received this ministry, this gift from Jesus And at the heart of this is testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's life and gospel ministry were devoted to sharing the gospel of grace. The gospel, after all, is is good news. It's the announcement of what Christ has done. The gospel is an awe-inspiring announcement of God's plan and work of salvation that is progressively revealed in the Bible. And the gospel of grace announces that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. He is the Christ. He's the long-awaited Messiah. And He is our Savior. That tells us what He has done. And so Christianity is about resting in and enjoying what Christ has done. The gospel of grace is the joyful news that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He is the one and only Savior of the world. And as pastors and as churches, we must, I would suggest, with laser-like focus and some stubborn resolve, preach and teach and preach and teach Again, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel ministry should have as its foundation the grace of God. There is one thread in the entire Bible. It is a gospel thread. It's a grace thread. Titus chapter 2 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The grace of God, friends, is a saving grace. The grace of God is a teaching grace. And the grace of God is a preparing grace. 
And at the heart and soul of the ministry of the Apostle Paul was the gospel of grace. Perhaps, perhaps so well, maybe best summed up in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you're here and you have yet to place your trust in Jesus Christ, I want you to know the good news today is that Jesus Christ has done the work. He has done everything that was ever needed for you to be made right with God and to be saved. It is by grace through faith. And so, in conclusion, this is the second, the second time around. I believe, I believe the greatest challenge facing us today and into the future will be engaging culture without losing the gospel. And let me, let me close with uh, a little quote here, a little excerpt from Russell Moore. I believe his words are instructive to us. That American evangelicalism is old and sick and weak and doesn't even know it. We are bored by what the Bible reveals as mysterious and glorious and read in the face about what hardly matters in the broad sweep of eternity. We clamor for the kind of power the world can recognize while ignoring the very power of God that comes through Christ and Him crucified. We've traded in the Sermon on the Mount for slogans on our cars. We've exchanged Christ the King for Christ the Meme. And through it all, we demonstrate what we care about, the same power and self-leverage that this age already values. And often our culture and moral and political debates are important. Offering one's opinion is fine and good, sometimes even necessary. But if our passions demonstrate that these things are most important to us and to our identity, we have veered into a place we do not want to go. The most important word we have for the world around us and for the soul within us can indeed fit on a bumper sticker. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Paul looks at these Ephesian elders one final time and says, I don't account my life of any value or precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The world desperately needs the gospel. The city of St. John's and our province desperately needs the gospel. Our city, friends, needs gospel churches and gospel preachers. The world and our city need gospel hope. And we as pastors, church leaders, and churches need gospel clarity and courage. And so, Brother Steve and all of us, let us be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ with humility, tears, and trials. Let us teach the Bible. Let us depend upon the Spirit. And let us have an unshakable commitment to the gospel of grace. Can I pray with you before Steve comes back? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. 
Lord, I thank you for your gifts and your calling upon, upon Steve today and how you have brought him to this day and to this moment. And I have every confidence, Lord, that you will continue to use him for the extension of your kingdom. May he rest today in the gospel and may he find new empowerment to be about the work that you have called him to do. Lord, I ask that you would bless this church. I would pray that you would bless the elders of this church, the members of this church. And I pray that you will continue to use them to share and preach the good news of the gospel here in this city. Lord, I pray your blessing upon them, and I thank you that together we are your co-laborers. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.